So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 12, uh, but this account is actually found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and we're going to look at Mark a little bit also because it provides a couple of different details that I think are important to this story. Uh, So you can go ahead and go to Matthew 12, and while you're going there, uh, just so you know, we've been going through the life of Christ, and we started obviously at the beginning. And we're going to cover a little bit of that this morning because it's relevant to Matthew chapter 12 in particular because we've come to a point in his life where things are beginning to change. So we started at his birth um, and now we've worked our way into his ministry that he had on earth. Uh, We've learned lots of things. We learned, uh, one, that the, the religious leaders of the time did not like him. The religious leaders were uh, very skeptical of him at first. And uh, we saw how Jesus re- interacts with the people. We see how uh, he interacted with uh, the people at the synagogue. We see how he interacted with the people who others didn't want to interact with, uh, whether it be because of disease or uh, because they were possessed by demons. We see the authority that Jesus had while he was on earth. And Jesus was 100% God and 100% man while he was here. No matter what... There's lots of um, pastors, speakers, um, whatever title they would like, that when you look at small details, they sometimes miss the small details. And while I could make mistakes also, I'm going to show you a few this morning. So the first slide here, it shows that this morning we are looking at the turning point in Jesus' ministry. I got a little remote up here that I'm still trying to use that Sam uses during the week, but I don't have the practice that he has. Uh, So the first slide is Israel begins viewing Jesus differently, and it's now transitioning from skepticism to rejection. We saw that um, Herod and the government tried to kill Jesus as a baby. They ordered all of them, uh, the sons two years and younger, to be killed. So we knew from the beginning that there was going to be a rejection, but it's, it's starting to brew. It's starting to, uh, things are starting to happen. So we see from the beginning that he, he was going to be a problem uh, for the, the leaders of the day. And even John the Baptist warned those same people. John the Baptist called those uh, religious leaders, he called them vipers, and uh, was trying to warn them that the, the Messiah is coming, and that's going to be Jesus. But we're now at that point. We're now 30-some years into his life. We saw where the government tried to kill him. John the Baptist tried to warn him. Now Jesus is here, and he's beginning to cause a problem for those religious leaders. He's challenging their way of life, and uh, they don't like that because he's challenging the things that they've put in place, the things that they have um, perverted the Old Testament laws that they've, they've changed and added more to it than, they, than needed to be. So have that in mind that uh, what we're seeing so far is, is a turning point and he is being, being rejected and it's going to get worse as we go on for him. Uh, so the next uh, slide is what is the Sabbath? And I'm going to read uh, Matthew chapter 12 here to get us started and you can read along with me. Uh, The title on my Bible says, Lord of the Sabbath. So that's kind of the title of this message. In verse 1 it says, At that time, Jesus passed through the grain fields on the Sabbath. And then we're going to see in the next section where he does a healing, 
that it's also on the Sabbath. The Sabbath is important. And uh, when I started preparing this message, I thought of what I want to get out of this. What I wanted to get out of this is for the Bible to tell me what the do's and don'ts or the rules of the Sabbath were so that I could just follow those do's and don'ts of the Sabbath and move on. Um, but that's, I actually told Matt this morning when we were talking about it that that's not how Jesus works. Uh, it's actually more difficult, um, which is good because he helps us do those things. Uh, so the very first example we see is in the creation account. You may remember in Genesis 2, he says he rested on the seventh day. Now, I don't know what I thought about that going into this message. Why did God rest? Was God tired from the six days he was working? Um, so he needed a seventh day to kind of recover? Uh, that would, I think that puts a limit on God if we say that. God's not all-powerful if he gets tired and wore out and has to take a break. That's not the case. He rested to enjoy his creation. Uh, so we see the first idea of a Sabbath there. And we also see it in the fourth commandment. So in Exodus, uh, it is the fourth commandment. It's to remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Now, I didn't realize ahead of, ahead of time, but out of all the Ten Commandments, this, remembering the Sabbath was the only non-moral law that was given. And actually, we don't see any indication that that law was any more in the New Testament. So I don't know about you, but what does the Sabbath look for, like for you? Do, you? do any of you actually follow a Sabbath? Do any of you take one day a week and do a Sabbath? And I, I'm not giving a definition of it because... I need to know and have you know what are you doing with it. What do you wish it looked like? Honestly, for the Sabbath for me, I don't know. Cassie and I were talking about this yesterday. I don't, I don't know how I could actually uh, do a Sabbath like I thought it should be done with um, the kids that we have, that their, their age they're at. Like, I don't know how, how do we just rest? I don't know. I, any parents... Re, like relate to that at all? Like if you have kids that are young, like <laughs> there's no timeouts really. Unless you ship them off to somebody else, then maybe you can rest. So what does it look like for you? What do you wish it looked like? Uh, for, for me, uh, probably one of the most relaxing things that I, I like to do is to sit by a fire. Um, just on a cool night, that would be awesome. Don't get to do it very much. Maybe for some of you, it's going to the beach. Maybe some of you, you do like your Sunday naps, and that's a Sabbath for you. Or maybe it's Cedar Point. The Sabbath can be a lot of things, but the Sabbath really, what the point of this message isn't to give you a definition of the Sabbath for you to go home and do that or do this. That isn't really even the point of Jesus and this interaction with uh, these Pharisees. We're going to see that it's much more than that as we go on. Uh, so, on to the next slide. This is, this is where we kind of get a little bit touchy. Because uh, when I look at the Pharisees, they were the conservatives of the day. So what is the Webster's definition of conservative? It's one who adheres to traditional methods or views. And for them, 
they were adhering to the Old Testament law and they were adhering to their traditional methods. So as far as religious views go, the Pharisees were actually the conservatives. And uh, the liberal is one who is open-minded or not strict in the observance of orthodox, traditional, or established forms or ways. You can look at these two titles, religiously, politically. You can, there's actually multiple ways you can look at it, um, financially. But when it comes to religion, in this story in particular, and actually throughout Jesus' interactions, as far as religion goes, the Pharisees were the conservatives. Um, but it, it, was, it, was not a, it was not a righteous thing um, that they were doing. So that brings up an interesting discussion uh, between those two. And I think in your own minds and in my own minds, we, we have ideas of what people are like. If we say someone's conservative, we have an idea in our mind of what that person's probably like. And if I say liberal, you probably go ahead and make your assumption on what that person is like. And more than likely, your views uh, on one or the other are probably one's good and one's bad. So the Pharisees were conservatives um, in their methods. So here's, here's the problem. If what we're trying to conserve doesn't align up with the Bible, then what we're conserving is trash. If what we're trying to conserve is just the way we think things should be done, but that doesn't align up with Scripture, that's evil. And that's what the Pharisees were doing. They were trying to conserve things, and one of those things were the Sabbath and all the rules that they put along with it, and they thought that was good because they were conserving something that they've always done, and that's what they uh, viewed was good. But in that uh, particular instance, being a conservative was not good. So based on those definitions, as Christians, we're stuck in the middle. We're stuck in the middle because in one way we're, we have a pulling in one direction of how things have always been done, that we need to continue doing that. And then the other is how things should be done, which actually is a more liberal view, viewpoint. Um, it's, it's open to change. It's open to doing away with how we've always done things. I'm not making a political statement. I'm just going off based on those definitions of conservative and liberal. As Christians, we're kind of stuck in the middle. Um, I think his name's Phil Vischer. I think that's how you pronounce it. But he was the creator of VeggieTales. Uh, put out a video this week. And uh, it's a pretty lengthy video. But one of his statements in there was that as Christians, it's kind of a struggle for us sometimes politically um, because... Uh, we do see things that need to be corrected. We need see things that are, be, uh, that are wrong that mean, need to be done right. Um, so that is a struggle for us. For me, I like rules. I like regulations. I like legalism. That sounds terrible, doesn't it? The reason I say that is because it's easier. It's easier for me to check off boxes and say, I did this or that, and there's a sense of pride that comes with it. Now, I, was, I grew up in a church that ran kind of like that. It ran in a way that uh, was more legalistic in nature. And as long as we showed up to church three times a week, and as long as we showed up to church with a certain outfit on, and as long as we um, would listen to a certain genre of music, we were checking off those boxes, 
and we were, in a sense, very selfish and prideful in our, our way of doing things. We held on to those. Um, truthfully, and I'm, I'm saying I was the wrong, one wrong doing this, is that we were perverting God's Scripture because we were putting other things um, at the top of the list compared to what He wanted us to do. So again, that's a struggle for us. It's a struggle religiously and politically. And then we get into the uh, problems, the accusations that he has uh, with these guys. I'm going to go ahead and read this, and you can read this along with me. His disciples were hungry and began to pick and eat some heads of grain. So what they're doing is they're traveling along, and it is lawful for them to to pick grain and eat it. The problem was that it was on the Sabbath. So it's not, it wasn't like they were stealing some grain from a farmer or anything like that. It, actually, the farmers were told to just take one harvesting and then leave the rest for basically kind of like a welfare system uh, so that they could come along and uh, pick up the, the remnants of the food and the harvest. And I'm actually going to read uh, part of the problem with the Sabbath there's lots of rules and regulations when it comes to that. We'll get that in just a second. So they're traveling through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and they decided to pick some of the grain and eat it. Now, the, the calendar of where they're at, the grains were ready to be harvested, and this is close to Passover time, um, because actually, if you think of the timeline, we're working up to Jesus being crucified, and then you think of the Passover meal and and all that that happens towards the end of his life. So if you think of the, the timeline and the grains were ready to be harvested. So when the Pharisees saw this, I don't understand, why, what are the Pharisees doing? Like why, how close were they to the, Jesus and his disciples traveling? Were they traveling with them so that every time that Jesus and his disciples made a misstep that they could accuse them? That's my guess, because it, we'll see um, in the next part of Scripture here that they're just continually looking at Jesus and following him um, to see what he's doing and how he's going to break their law. So the Pharisees saw this. So they're spying on these guys. And they said to him, said to Jesus, See, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. So they're just looking for an opportunity to strike. And there it is. One of them, two of them, grab some grain and, and we're going to eat. And then Jesus responds. So the accusation is you cannot harvest grain on the Sabbath. And uh, so we see Jesus' response. Haven't you read what David did when he and those who were with him were hungry? How he entered the house of God and they ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for him or those who were with him to eat, but only for the priests. Now, to give you a little bit of context for that, on Sunday, the priest would work. The priest would uh, do the sacrifices, the, the bread was there, and then when the bread was to be moved out, the priest was the only one that could eat that bread. But when David entered with his men, and they were hungry, the, the priest provided the bread for them to eat. So he's giving them an Old Testament example, because these Pharisees, again, they're very proud of the, the way they know the Old Testament Scriptures and the way they follow their rules of the Old Testament. 
So Jesus hits them right where they, they know that they should know the scriptures and says, well, you're accusing me of this, but didn't you know David did that? And that's important because then they would have to say David sinned also, and that's not something they would do. They held David in high regard, um, unlike Jesus. So we move on. Or haven't you read in the law that on the Sabbath days the priests in the temple violate the Sabbath and are innocent? I thought about this one because, honestly, Sundays for Cassie and I are very busy, um, especially when we have Sunday school. You know, we're here early. Um, we have Sunday school, Sunday morning service. Um, we, we have a little bit of a break in between to get lunch for the kids and, and for us to kind of prepare to get right back here to have youth group. I was like thinking, if, if Sunday, if I was to keep the law just like the Pharisees wanted to, I would be guilty as could be because Sundays are so busy for us. And Jesus points that out. So the priests work on, on the Sabbath. Are they innocent? And then he says, I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. And he's referring to himself. If you had known what this means, and then I don't know if this is in, in your uh, Bible or not, but it's, it's in bold. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. You would have not condemned the innocent for the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. God is less interested in our man-made laws. He's more interested in mercy. And they should have shown mercy to the men who were hungry. Those that all they were doing, I mean, they weren't sitting down to a, a 16-ounce ribeye or anything. They were literally just picking grains off, of the, off the, the grain fields. And I don't, I'd have to sit down and get quite a bit of grains to fill myself up. So they were just trying to grab a few on the way to replenish, and that way they can just get where they're going. They needed to show mercy on these men for that. And then we see the second, second accusation um, here, and it's going to be in verses 9. It says, Moving on from there, he entered their synagogue. So some of the um, translations might say another Sabbath. This one, my, I'm using the Christian Standard Bible. It doesn't say another Sabbath, but there's a possibility this could, could have been the same Sunday. Or actually, I'm sorry, it would have been Saturday. Um, or it could be another Sabbath. So I'm not quite sure, but regardless, Jesus is showing a pattern of really taking aim at the heart of their laws, which is the Sabbath. And he's, he's beginning to challenge them. Like I said at the beginning, he's beginning to challenge them more and more as his life goes on. So moving from there, he entered their synagogue, and there he saw a man who had a shriveled hand, and in order to accuse him, so the Pharisees, they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? He replied to them, who among you, if he had a sheep that fell into a pit on the Sabbath, wouldn't take hold of it and lift it out? See, again, their law was crazy. Their law was way too restrictive, had way too many regulations. It was a burden uh, to anyone who tried to follow it. It was lawful for them to try to save sheep or save um, some of their animals to, in order to keep them healthy. But their law said that they could not help someone who need healed unless it was a life or death situation. And this man just had a shriveled hand. Some of your translations may say uh, a withered hand. It was paralyzed hand. This man may have been 
uh, someone like a mason or something like that, a carpenter that worked with his hands. So the fact that he was now paralyzed or his hand was not usable was a big deal because he couldn't provide for his family and he needed healed. He replied to them about the sheep and he says, a person is worth far more than a sheep. So it is lawful to do what is good on the Sabbath. I'm going to read uh, Mark chapter 3 of this same account. And you can go there if you'd like. Mark chapter 3 and verse 1. It says, Jesus entered the synagogue again, and a man was there who had a shriveled hand. And in order to accuse him, they were watching him closely. Again, the Pharisees are obsessed with trying to figure out where Jesus is going to mess up. That's like all they, all they care about at this point is we need to figure out where Jesus is going to misstep our law so that we can accuse him. So in verse 2, in order to accuse him, they were watching him closely to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath. He told them with the shriveled hand, Jesus said to him, stand before us, get up here and stand before us. He's talking to the guy that needs healed. And he says, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath or to do evil, to save life or to kill? You have to understand that the whole reason that they were trying to accuse him, that they were trying to, uh, they were stalking him pretty much to see where he's going to mess up, is they, they were actively trying to find an opportunity to initiate that process to kill Jesus. That's why this, this section in particular is so important because it's a turning point. They're no longer seeing Jesus as someone who, uh, you know, he just kind of got a cult following and, you know, we're just going to kind of let him go. Jesus is becoming a problem for them. And they're now actively looking for ways to kill him. I want to read to you, this is just a section out of the, I, I think I'm pronouncing this correctly, correctly uh, Talmud, um, but this is one section out of it. And I'm going to read these to you. It's a little lengthy, so bear with me. Um, and then we're going to um, get, be getting close to closing out after this. Think of everything I'm going to read. Think of how burdening this would be, how stressful it would be to try to keep these laws. So the major compilation, uh, the Jewish tradition, was this Talmud. Um, and it had 24 chapters. So one law specified that the basic limit for travel on a Sabbath was about 3,000 feet from one's house. But there were various exceptions were provided. If you had placed some food within 3,000 feet of your house, you could go there to eat it because the food was considered an extension of your house. You then could go another 3,000 feet beyond the food. If a rope were placed across an adjoining street or alley, the building on the other side as well as, as well as the alley between could be considered part of your house. Certain objects could be lifted up and put down only from and to certain places. Other things could be lifted up from a public place and set down in a private one, and vice versa. Still others could be picked up in a wide place and put down in a legally free place, but rabbis could not agree about the meanings of wide and free. That sounds a little bit about how our government runs today. Under Sabbath regulations, a Jew could not carry a load heavier than a dried fig. Now this, this is where we come into a little bit of trouble with them 
picking the grains because they weren't allowed to carry a whole lot. So the most they could carry was a dried fig. So if an object weighed half that amount, he could carry it twice. Eating restrictions were among the most detailed and extensive. You could eat nothing larger than an olive. And even if you tasted half of an olive and found out that it was rotten and had to throw it out, that counted towards your allowance for the day. Throwing an object into the air with one hand and catching it with the other was prohibited. If the Sabbath overtook you as you reached for some food, the food was to be dropped before drawing your arms back, lest you be guilty of carrying a burden. Tailors did not carry a needle with them on the Sabbath for fear they might be tempted to mend a garment and thereby perform work. This kind of sounds like the uh, goofy laws that are in some of our uh, states that we could joke about also. So nothing could be bought or sold, and clothing could not be dyed or washed. A letter could not be dispatched, even if by the hand of a Gentile. No fire could be lit or extinguished, so Mike wouldn't have to work on Sabbath, including fire for a lamp, <clears throat> although a fire already lit could be used within certain limits. So they were using fires for lamps. Even today, the Jews who f- try to follow the Old Testament as close as possible, they will put timers on their lights in their house so that they come on before the Sabbath so they don't have to be in a dark house for the next 24 hours. So there are still people who try to follow all these rules. For that reason, some... I'm sorry, I just went right into talking about what I just said. Uh, baths could not be taken for fear some of the water might spill on the floor and wash it. Chairs could not be moved because dragging them might make a furrow in the ground, and a woman was not to look in the mirror lest she see a gray hair and be tempted to pull it out. You could carry ink enough to draw only two letters of the alphabet, and false teeth could not be worn because they exceeded the weight limit for burdens. According to those hair-splitting regulations, a Jew could not pull off even a handful of grain to eat on the Sabbath unless he were starving, which of course is often a difficult thing to determine and would be cause for considerable differences of opinion. If a person became ill on the Sabbath, only enough treatment could be given to keep him alive. That's what I was talking about with the man with the withered hand. It wasn't a life or death situation. And the law only allowed if it was life or death. Uh, treatment to make him improve was declared to be work and therefore forbidden. To determine just how much food, medicine, or bandaging would be necessary to keep a person alive and no more was itself an impossible burden. And among other things on the Sabbath uh, that were forbidden were things like sowing, plowing, reaping, uh, baking, uh, binding sheaves, uh, sifting, dyeing, kneading. There's so many things. And in Matthew eleven twenty eight, he says, Come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden. Could you imagine the weariness of these Jews trying to always follow these, these laws? Jesus came to offer freedom. So while Sabbath is a part of what the message is about, uh, you're not going to go away from here with instructions on exactly how to Sabbath. Uh, That's something you should pray about. That's something that um, you should work on because it is a good thing to do. They thought they were going to kill him and he sought to do good. He sought to heal. So I don't know 
your current spiritual situation. I don't know what your relationship with God is like. But if you're like me, I, I did come from a past of burden from trying to follow laws that I thought were necessary. I come from a background that it felt good to follow those rules and, and regulations because there was a sense of pride about it. I've said before that the, the statement that we would make at church is that if we're going to heaven, we're going to first class. We're going first class. We're going to be better than all the other Christians because we followed all of these things that we used to do. So again, I don't know what your relationship like is like or your past is like, but Jesus offers you freedom. That's what I want to present to you this morning is that maybe you're carrying something you shouldn't be carrying. Maybe there's a burden on your life that you have not given over to Jesus. Jesus seeks to do good. And we, we, we celebrate the Sabbath now on Sundays because of Jesus. So I think it'd be appropriate for all of us to take a few moments and, and inspect our hearts and what it, what's weighing you down this morning? What's something that's causing a burden in your life that you're maybe completely stressed out about? Maybe it's something that you can't get off of your mind. I would imagine a lot of you feel like that. I think it's so cool that Jesus asked this man to, to come up and he said to them, is it lawful to do good or to do evil? They were silent, and after looking around, he, he sighed. He saw these Pharisees and sighed with the grief because he, he knew they didn't have freedom. So he was grieved at their hardness of heart, and he told this man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out, and his hand was restored. Jesus sought to do good to this man. Immediately the Pharisees went out and started plotting how they might kill him. They might kill him because he violated their law. He didn't violate God's law. He didn't violate anything in the Old Testament. He sought to do good. And he, he seeks to do good for you this morning also. So as Matt plays, uh, if any of you need prayer, please feel welcome to come up front. I will pray with you.